I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bear vidians and things to episode 41 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets in Star Trek. We have been doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Rudolf Nureyev and the Star Trek original series episode, The Deadly Years. So, Ooh, yeah, deadly. it gets exciting. So <laughs> what can you tell us about this Rudolf Nureyev? Well, he was born in Soviet Russia. Uh, he got to start at the Kirov Ballet in Leningrad, and he defected in 1961 and came west. He is noted as the first Soviet artist to defect during the Cold War. Crazy. So because of that, he kind of became a huge icon in the West. He danced uh, the, at the Royal Ballet in London. And during that time, he was uh, the director of the Paris Opera, Opera Ballet after the fact. Uh, but in 1984, he contracted HIV and spent years hiding it and denying his poor health. Um, but by the late 80s, he really could barely perform. Um, he was able to choreograph and direct a few additional productions and even achieved France's highest cultural award. I'll try my best. The Commandeur de l'Ordre de Arts de Lettres. <laughs> um, well he done. He passed away in January 1993. Hmm. But what does our audience know him from? Unless you're really into ballet, probably this episode of The Muppet Show. Yeah, actually, uh, my girlfriend did ballet when she was younger, and she was like, oh, Rudolf Nureyev. She, like, she knew who he was through that through yeah. ballet alone. So Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but this week on The Muppet Show, backstage, uh, the whole plot is about how Sam the Eagle is trying to make it really fancy for Rudolf Nureyev. <laughs> uh, and in fact, he accidentally throws out Rudolf Nureyev in his attempt to class up the backstage. Because he walks in looking all casual like. <laughs> On stage, though, uh, Kermit introduces the electric mayhem. Sam worries that they're not going to be classy enough, and they actually do the minuet in G major. And it's nice until Animal loses his stuff and it turns into a rock number. It's pretty badass. Uh, after this, we get an attempt at classiness again with a Wagner piece. I'll try this again. La Cidorem de la Mano. Blah. Uh, we get Link Hogthrob and Piggy dressed as Vikings. They battle each other for stage presence, and then Sam takes them off stage with a giant magnet. <laughs> Up next, we get Swine Lake, a ballet between Rudolph and a big point pig ballet dancer. And it's super impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, we have a cute number called Something's Missing, where a puppet and the entire set are missing a half of its features until he's joined by a female lady puppet who completes him and nothing's missing. Oh, it's real cute. Yeah. Following this, we go to Veterinarian's Hospital and they class it up by doing a bunch of Shakespeare jokes. It was wonderful which is a, a big departure from normal. Robin introduces the next number with Rudolph in a steam room with Miss Piggy. This devolves into a series of sexual harassments and a strange performance of baby. It's cold outside. <laughs> Rudolph then plays Cl- uh, not Rudolph. Rolf then plays Claire de Lune, uh, which Fozzie interrupts by trying to class it up further. He brings out a candelabra trying to light it and then blows it down with a b- blowtorch. <laughs> Rudolph then hits the stage for his final number, top hat, white gloves, and tail. We get to see uh, him tap dance, which is cool mm-hmm. and not a skill we knew he had. Kermit thanks Rudolph and Rayev one more time. Sam apologizes for ever letting Rudolph back in the building. 
And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Jeremy, what did you think of this week's episode with Rudolph Nureyev? I thought it was a very fun, solid episode. And some of the kind of the backstage kind of things that you were or behind the scenes stuff that people don't might not know is that um, Nureyev was a huge Muppet fan and that he coming on the show, you could tell that he really loved being there in the Muppets. He just it was authentic happiness in his face, you know, that just being there. He felt comfortable. He wanted to be there. And apparently this really opened up a lot of other bigger stars coming because this was filmed actually earlier on. And when they heard that Rudolph Nureyev went to the Muppets, then like, oh, I'll go too. And so they got lots of bigger right. stars because of him. So Up to of, that point, they'd been calling in favors or people they worked with or people yeah. they had done something with. And Rudolph opened it up. And we get a plethora of huge name stars oh, yeah. through the next next few seasons because of it. And like uh, just good sketches. Like it fit really well. The, the, the Even the baby it's cold outside, even though it's uncomfortable, it, it was done really well. And he can decently sing. So it's always good having a song and dance man kind of person being there and um, and just someone who's comfortable with the Muppets um, and Sam the Eagle fumbling around trying to be proper. And it was it was cute. And they had they had veterinarians hospitals. They had at least one of our go to standby. Yeah, that's true. I know sketches. that's your absolute favorite. And they had none of the others, though. So not a lot of the other um, yeah, you know, that's true. reoccurring segments. But it, it felt very solid. And he was a great performer. So, yeah, that's all yeah, upper middle episode for me. I think that it suffered a little bit because while he's a great performer, he's certainly not a singer. Right. Um, and they maybe le- maybe leaned on that a little much. I wonder if he told uh, them he's like, I want to sing and they're not going to turn him down because he's Rudolph may Correa. absolutely be what he did. Yeah. And, and you know, it might be also the reason we got to see him tap dance. He's a great um, tap dancer. Yeah. But I think anything you're right, anything that he he lacked in the skills he was trying to convey, he made up for an enthusiasm. Absolutely. That's what counts. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've seen some like unenthusiastic guests who just don't get it. Like, oh, we've this, seen those people. Do I look at the Muppeteer or do I look at the Muppet? I'm yeah. confused. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, music this week. Uh, a lot of classical stuff. Uh, minuet in A major. I think I maybe said G earlier hmm. uh, by Luigi Borsellini. Uh, he was his first major patron was this guy named Infante Luid. Luis Antonio of Spain, <laughs> all these words, <laughs> who was the little brother of the king at mm. the time. He did phenomenally well in the situation. He was getting paid well and had patronage. And, but then the king heard one of his works in progress and didn't like it and told him to change part of it. So when he performed it, he just played that part twice and the king fired him. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Le Cie d'Orem Le Mano is by Fred- Frederick Chopin. This is from his, the famous opera Don Giovanni. Ah. Uh, he suffered from tuberculosis and at his death, a friend sang the Polish national anthem before he uttered his final words, mother, my poor mother. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Something's Missing by Paul Tracy, a South African composer who grew up in the UK. He actually appeared on Broadway in the show The Boyfriend with prior Muppet show guest Sandy Duncan. Hmm. Baby, It's Cold Outside. While regarded a Christmas song, the lyrics make no mention of the holiday. This was written by Frank Loser at the as a closing act when high-end parties were expected to have musical performers. And it made them famous overnight. Because people started hiring them just to be the closer with For this song at their parties. Weird. I didn't know that. And then about five years after performing it for five years, they sold the music rights. And in 1949, it was in a big movie and, and kind of came into na- national prominence. 
Oh, yeah. And the, the debate over the years, whether it's a rapey song or if it's not, because back then the, it was about a woman who actually wanted to have sex with him. But she had to like pretend she didn't first because that was the right thing to do. And it's <laughs> uh, it's a lot. Well, the, the origin of the song is that it was a go the hell home. The party's over song. Right. <laughs> I can tell you that definitively. That's the origin. I really can't uh, stay. <laughs> uh, Claire de Lune, by a guy named Claude Debussy. Uh, he wrote his, this in his early part of his career, and then over the 15 years got super famous. And it wasn't until after he got famous that a publisher offered him this huge amount of money for his early works. So he went back and rewrote the song 15 years later, huh. to, like cleaned it up to his current standards after he had gotten famous. Nice. Uh, Top Hat, White Hat, and Tales, written by Irving Berlin, first made popular by Fred Astaire. Uh, it's also been covered by the likes of Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald. Hmm. And uh, the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. <laughs> For those ska fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> the three that are left. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so, Jeremy, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? I, it's kind of a cop out, but I'm going with the uh, the dancer in the pig costume for the ballet number. And more so because we did some research on this, my girlfriend and I, and she found that it was actually a professional a male ballet dancer in that costume. Uh, yeah. And, and they, most of the big puppet dancers often were um, from this same uh, male ballet company. Yeah. And apparently he, it's difficult for men to be on point like that. That's not usually because of the weight of their body. It's just not good for your toes. It's hard to maintain. And so the fact that he did it so well and so effortlessly, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I'm also going to give it to that segment, but not to the guy in the suit. I'm going to give it to Rudolf Nureyev because mm. at one point, he had the pig like strapped to him and he was doing both performances Ah, yeah, with a stuffed doll kind of thing. And he was spinning it around and you could see the feet were attached to his feet. So Rudolf Nureyev earns the best Muppeteering moment. This week. He's an honorary Muppeteer. Oddly enough. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> so Jeremy, what can you tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek that we watched? All right. Well, strap in folks. I was actually really a fan of this one, but uh, it's uh, a, <laughs> What was that? I was strapping, I was strapping in. Oh, <laughs> quite the sound effects there. <laughs> ready. He's ready. I may have pooped myself. <laughs> Be careful that intense strapping in. I might pull a muscle. Uh, so the Enterprise is on its way to deliver Commodore Stalker to Starbase 10. But along the way, they stop to drop off some supplies to a research station on Gamma Hydra 4, which is my favorite of the Gamma Hydras. I do have to say uh, the landing party arrives at the station. Gamma Hydra 3 has better Coke, though. That's true. If you're this into that kind of thing. Space Coke. <laughs> I heard from a friend of mine. So the landing party arrives at the station, but it seems deserted. Uh, but finally, Chekhov walks into a building and finds a dead body of an old, old man. And he screams because it shocks him seeing this dead body here, this old person. And the rest of the party finds him. And they're really weirded out because there aren't supposed to be anybody under the age of 30 on this research station. Yet there's this old man dead on the table. Uh, but just then, this old couple comes in and gives them their names. And the Enterprise crew checks the records and finds that that couple is supposed to be in their 20s. But they look like they're in their 70s or 80s. So weird. What's going on? So they take the old couple up to the Enterprise and they soon die of old age in the, in the sick bay. But soon the whole landing party begins to age with the exception of Chekhov, 
So Scotty, Bone, Spock, and a young Lieutenant Galway, this female lieutenant, begin to get lots of old age makeup on them and white hairspray and bad wigs and stuff to mix to other. Oh, boy, is it bad. And it's weird. A lot of the wigs look like they're blonde instead of white or gray, which is very strange. I didn't get why that looked that way. Might have been just a coloring difference in HD or something. Yeah, or maybe because this was also a simul broadcast in black and white, right? So it could have been Some something places. to do with that. Yeah. So Dr. Janet Wallace is a character we're introduced to on this. She's an old flame of Kirk's. Apparently, they used to date a long time ago. Uh, but she begins working with Spock and Bones. She's like a biologist to try to figure out what's causing this rapid aging. And they're all racing against the clock because they're all aging exponentially. And soon, Lieutenant Galway, who is the youngest of them all, she dies of old age before the rest of them. So they wonder why she aged so much faster than they are. So Dr. Wallace and Spock finally figure out that a comet had just passed Gamma Hydra 4, and it must have left behind some kind of special radiation that was causing the strange rapid aging effect. Hmm. So Commodore Stalker, meanwhile, he's very anxious to get to Starbase 10. He's supposed to be expected there soon. And he's concerned about there that, but also he's concerned that Kirk is becoming increasingly forgetful and senile, and he's making all these mistakes and oversights that are also concerning the bridge crew and everything. Uh, but Kirk keeps insisting, oh, he's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's okay. Um, and his old flame, Dr. Wallace, apparently has daddy issues because she gets more and more attracted to him the older Kirk gets, which is kind of creepy and weird. Mm, <laughs> delicious. And Kirk even calls her out on it, which is pretty funny. Uh, Stalker, uh, the Commodore Stalker eventually insists that a hearing be held to determine if Kirk is still fit for command. And eventually the crew come and testify against him because they have to. And he's removed from command along with Spock because Spock is also aging rapidly, um, even if he's aging a little slower because he's a Vulcan and they have a longer lifespan, which is pretty cool. I did like that they addressed that. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, Commodore Stalker then takes command of the Enterprise because he's the next um, up in uh, in command. And he has very little actual command experience because he's mostly been a desk jockey his whole career. So despite warnings from the crew, he decides to take a direct route to Starbase 10, even though it goes directly through the Romulan neutral, neutral zone, which is a total no-no in the world of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And But now that they're all old and out of work, as I put in my notes, uh, Kirk, Spock, Bones and Dr. Wallace are all hanging out in the sickbay trying to figure it out and try to figure out why Chekhov seems to be not affected by this. He's not aging at all. And they remember that Chekhov was scared by the dead body when he arrived on the planet. So Bones also remembers that adrenaline used to be used as a treatment for radiation. I don't know if that's true or not, but they put that in the episode. So him and Dr. Wallace start to develop a adrenaline based treatment for the landing party to affect the aging radiation. Meanwhile, Commodore Stalker takes control of the Enterprise and takes it into the neutral zone and the Romulans begin attacking them hardcore. And all the bridge crew are asking, him, what do we do? What do we do? And he's like paralyzed with fear and indecision of what to do. So he thinks he's just going to surrender to them. And the crew reminds him uh, Romulans don't take prisoners, so they'll just kill us all. (laughs) So he's like, oh, crap. But Kirk takes the experimental adrenaline treatment and it works. It works very fast. And he rushes to the bridge, takes command, and he uses the Corbomite maneuver, which we saw in a previous episode. Nice little callback, pretending that they have this explosive Corbomite that will blow up the whole sector. That um, Corbomite maneuver, right? Yeah. And so that makes the Romulans back off and they take the chance to escape towards Starbase 10. And that's the end of the episode. And I feel like this is one of the first times that we've gotten a inside callback to a episode we've already seen. I know that's something very rare in Star Trek original series. Uh, I thought it was yeah. really, I forgot that even happened until this rewatch. Oh, so. yeah, the Corbomite maneuver. Freaking love it. Yeah, it's a great little trick, and he does it on an open channel that he knows the Romulans can hear that they already have the codes to. So it was just really smart. It shows like his experience as a commander over the stalker guy. Um, 
But I also like that Stalker wasn't evil or bad because they usually make the Commodores or Admirals just evil or yeah, stupid. Or and have he, some secondary agenda. Right. Like he really was trying to do the right thing and he just was always, he just wasn't experienced enough. That's all. But Right. And he didn't, it's not like he wanted this command. Right. Right. He, just, he was next in line. So he, he had to. next in line. So what do you think of the episode, Steve? Um, so things I liked, it was uh, it was just, I like that they admitted the you get to see the Spock is aging a little bit less rapidly. Mm-hmm. Anytime we get to see a little bit more about like Vulcan culture or life, I think yeah. it's a cool thing. Um, it was I, I really did love crotchety old Kirk. Like, <laughs> yes. It was very lovable and like, why do I have to repeat everything I say twice around? <laughs> get more and more vehement. Um, and I love it anytime you get to see Spock have to use his logic to do something he doesn't want to do. It's when Spock in Leonard Nimoy in general has his best acting mm. is when you can see that the human side of him doesn't want to do it, but the Vulcan side won't let him not do it. Right. A little confliction uh, there. Yeah. So him having to use his logic to get to kick Kirk out of command only to then resign his own command. Right. Was like, oh, spa. Because they had that oh. line. It's like, um, he fi- was saying, yeah, he's figuring out. He's like, well, you're not fit for command. Ah, oh, crap. That means I'm also not fit for command. It's like, right. damn it. Um, so that, that was fun. Uh, I, I, there's some inconsistency sort of things. In other episodes, we've seen it when something happens down on a planet. What do they say? No, we can't beam back up until we find out what happened. We can't risk bringing something back to the ship. And right. this time they were like, great, get us back up there. <laughs> I was like, are you worried if this is like a disease or something? Now we're not worried about that this episode. All right, cool. Let's roll. <laughs> Let's roll. Um, so uh, ups and downs. Uh, I would put this kind of middle. Okay. For me, uh, the, the mid when it's just them showing them getting older, I was like, I get it. And then they played it for another 10 or 15 minutes. Right. That's same. Maybe there just thing. wasn't enough conflict in the middle to hold it, to hold a steady center line. Um, but overall, pretty, pretty enjoyable. Oh, good. Yeah. Like they had a, like a little bit of a second storyline with stalker and that kind of thing. But yeah, it was, it was, but once but you're right, he wasn't the villain. So I'm not sure if it was enough to drive. Right. They could have used a little bit more conflict or something. Yeah. But it was good. Um, so yeah, overall, very good. So trivia for this episode, uh, the cast, which is fun to watch it again. If you hear this bit of trivia, the cast wore oversized versions of their costumes as their characters aged in order to give the impression that they were shrinking with age, you know, like kind of hunching over and smaller. And you can see that William Shatner towards the end has like a kind of like baggy costume on him, which is kind of cool idea. Um, William Shatner, of course, resisted looking too old as Captain Kirk. So this is why first the aging as he's aging, his hairline starts to recede. But then later on the episode, it's more back. full again because <laughs> yeah, he complained. He's like, I don't look too old. Um, uh, having been born on July 16th, 1882, Felix Locher, who played the old man, at the beginning with the couple the old people. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the earliest born actor to appear in any Star Trek episode or film, which I thought was kind of fun. 1882. Can you believe that? That's crazy. He was 18 at the turn of the century. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> And he's in a Star Trek episode. Do you think he pooped himself the first time he saw a railroad? <laughs> first time he saw a wheel. I uh, would. <laughs> according to Walter Koenig, uh, our Chekhov, a close-up shot of his eyes was filmed as Chekhov sees the dead body. However, uh, Koenig kept uh, blinking during the shot, and it took 15 takes to get it right. However, the shot was then deleted from the episode. <laughs> they didn't even use it. Um, Dr. Wallace's costume was made from drapes. 
I just thought that was amusing. <laughs> Uh, normally makeup artist Fred B. Phillips would have been given a month to come up with the latex prosthetics to age his cast. Instead, he was given 10 days. Uh, Phillips was able to get around the problem by drafting a whole toupee, sorry, whole troop <laughs> of makeup artists to assist him. <laughs> Not toupee. Well, there's probably toupees involved, too. Um, McCoy's southern dialect grows noticeably thicker as he ages. Which I thought was cute. That was kind of a thing. I'm just an old country doctor. I always knew you were. Um Kirk reuses the scam involving the Corbinite device, which was first in the Corbinite maneuver we watched. And it was just, I thought that was a great callback. And that's a piece of trivia we already knew. We already talked about it. And I can skip over that one. And that's the end of trivia. Great. Great. <laughs> great. Uh, well, I got some Shrek connections this week. Yes, please. Boy, howdy. Uh, so there was an ex- uh, exclusive uh, showing of Nureyev, a documentary. That occurred at the Leonard Nimoy Thalia Theater and Symphony Space in New York City. Oh, cool. I didn't know that's a place. Uh, Charles Drake, who plays Commodore Stalker, was on an episode of Macmillan and Wife, which starred previous Muppet Show guest Nancy Walker. Ah. And then this one is going to uh, require a reaction from you when I have you search this. Uh, Sarah Marshall, who played Janet Wallace, had a small role in the movie Dangerous Minds. Oh. Michelle Pfeiffer, who was the special guest on the very first episode of Muppets Tonight. Oh, so Jarman, here's the reaction portion of this. I want you to IMDb Sarah Marshall. Okay. And look at the most unflattering IMDb photo <laughs> that anyone has ever had. Sarah ever. Marshall. It's, it looks Photoshopped. It is so bad. Uh, is it the one she's also in Dave? Yes. Oh, my God. That is terrible. <laughs> Folks, you should do this. Go. I am to be Sarah Marshall. Sarah with an H Marshall. She has the worst publicity photo on IMDb I have ever seen. She's a publicist. It looks like her face has been pasted onto like a bigger body. <laughs> it's really it's weird. So poor looking. And that then, is part of Trek Connections this week. The only other picture of her on her MDB is the back of her head. <laughs> so like, what the hell? Check out Sarah Marshall on IMDb. It is something to behold. That's depressing. Uh, <laughs> so anyways. So, Jarman, these were basically the same episode this week, right? Weren't they, though? I mean, they, were. they both have a scene of someone spurning a woman's advances. Um, Nereyev in the spa with Miss Piggy and Kirk with Dr. Wallace in the hallway of the Enterprise, because obviously her face was plastered on another body <laughs> nice uh, if in something's missing pieces are missing from the puppet and the set just like kirk begins to lose pieces of his mental capacity <laughs> that very true uh <laughs> people fight for the spotlight as it were uh piggy and the other pig what's his name again uh link hogthrob link hogthrob uh they fight for the literal spotlight in the opera number and command commodore stalker and kirk fight over the spotlight of command of the enterprise Ooh. Yeah. Both feature someone giving a medical evaluation, Bones and Dr. Bob. You are so correct. That's true. Do you have another sure. one, sir? No, nah, mine was basically the same as uh, the, the one you said for cold outside. Someone <laughs> trying to leave while someone else is trying to get them to stay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. What was that noise? <laughs> Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. So here's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode and vice versa. So what do you got for us this week, Steve? Well, I'm up to track. I've got the big pig dancer coming over. And as the effects take hold uh, of getting older, everyone turns into a pig instead. 
I like that. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Uh, I have Nureyev coming over to replace Dr. Wallace because uh, I think okay. him and Do- and Kirk would have a, a a better chemistry together. You know, they could have had yes. an old relationship and they would have been talking about it and Nureyev could be flirting with him. You know, it, was, it, would, it would work out really well. Not now, Nureyev. I'm on duty. <laughs> I, don't, I can't, suddenly can't do a Russian accent. That's I'd right. like to talk to you, please, Kirk. <laughs> please. You're so sexy with your old man whiskers. It's cold outside. <laughs> it's cold uh, Trek to Muppets. I've got the crotchety, cranky Kirk coming over to replace Sam the Eagle. I had the same one. That's hilarious. <laughs> Just wants everything to be right. No, what's this crap back here? And this is not dignified. We already told you, Sam. No, you didn't. I would have heard it then. <laughs> That's amazing with the same one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that brings us uh, to the end of episode 41 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Judy Collins. An original series episode, Obsession. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>